choir and our praise team and all of you for taking part in worship today and hope and pray that it's pleasing to the Lord. If you brought your Bibles, please turn to the book of James, James chapter 5. James chapter 5, and I want to go back to the subject of prayer as we deal with uh, something we started a couple of weeks ago as we talked about sanctification, being set apart for the purpose of God. We have this position sanctification that when we're saved, that we're justified, we're sanctified, we're set apart, we're made holy. The word holy, same word for sanctification, means set apart, same meaning. We're set apart for the purposes of God and to become more like Jesus. Now, we'll never be like Jesus until we receive this glorification. Glorification we receive when we die, the Lord calls us home. And then we're glorified. But right now we're in this process of becoming more like him. And one way we can become like him is through prayer. And we're going to talk about different disciplines uh, this year in regards to uh, that will help us as we grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ and become more like him. Now last week uh, we dealt with prayer. And I ask you uh, during the invitation hymn, if if you would respond and you filled out a little commitment card, and we'll have some more of those cards for you. You don't want to get behind in growing in sanctification. You want to commit to, to praying like Jesus. And so those cards, I think we had, uh, I think we had about 85 plus turned in out of a attendance probably around 120, and that's real good. And others were serving in other areas of church. And so the commitment was we'll start our our day off each day start our day off with prayer and i've had a fantastic week and i hope you have if you were praying every morning to start your day off begin that with prayer well then i know you've had a good week so i want us to go back to becoming more like jesus in prayer part two and then of course it's your move now i can only share with you what god's word says and Holy Spirit does the convicting, but then it all boils down to where it's your move. It's your decision where you want to become more like Jesus and take a step, make a little, make a, a, a bigger commitment in regards to prayer, a more deeper commitment. And so that'll be your move. And so we want to look at becoming more like Jesus in prayer. James 5, look at verse 13 and following down to verse, uh, through verse 15. James began by, say, by saying, Is any among you afflicted? Let him pray. Is any merry? Now, some translations uh, have happy. Is any, anyone merry? Is anyone happy? He says, Is anyone merry? Let him sing psalms. Verse 14, Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord Jesus. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up, and if he have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. We'll stop there, and there may be a part three coming later. James 3, 13 through 15, probably, well, through this, uh, probably down through verse 18, this is probably the most specific instruction on prayer that's in the New Testament. So if you're serious about your Christian life, 
If you're serious about progressing in your sanctification, that moving forward, becoming more like Jesus, then James chapter 5 is a passage that you should become real familiar with. Now, last week I shared a few things that we could pray about, but James gives us some more deeper things that we can pray about as Christians. If you'll notice, first of all, now if you're taking notes, if you're taking notes, you wonder what to pray about. James says, first of all, James says you can pray for emotional health. Emotional health. Now, there are a number of us in which our biggest ailments are um, emotional. Uh, we have uh, problems with fear, perhaps, or problems with uh, uh, insecurity, or, or anxiousness, or uh, fear, worry, those things. Uh, we're, so many of us are bothered with those things. And James says in verse 13, is there anyone among you afflicted? Now, a lot of translations have a better translation in that, is anyone among you suffering? Is anyone among you suffering? Not necessarily physical suffering, but what he's really dealing with here is emotional suffering. Um, and so he asked, a, he, he asked a rhetorical question, meaning uh, a rhetorical question is a question that has an assumed answer. Is there any one of you here suffering emotionally? And the assumed answer is yes. And so he, he uses that word suffering. The, the original Greek word, kakapatheto, uh, means suffering. It's used three times in the New Testament. And so the word has reference not to physical suffering, physical pain, but enduring evil treatment by someone else. Is any one of you here today experiencing evil treatment by someone else or suffering emotionally? Now, keep in mind, James chapter 1, verse 1, notice what he begins with. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad. And so he's speaking to the Jews who had been moved out of their homeland, who would left their homeland, scattered abroad, going through a hard time, doing a lot of emotional suffering. How would you like to have to leave your home? And he says, is any among you afflicted? A rhetorical question. Yes, we are. James, we are. And so he asked James, so James is, he's, he's writing to these Jews who have left Jerusalem, scattered across all of Asia Minor because they were being persecuted for following Jesus. And he said, are any of you suffering? Likeable answer, positive answer would be, or an expected answer, yes, we are. Because they were, they were far from home, they were far from family, they were far from their friends, and they were suffering because of their faith in Christ. They were afflicted. And so he asked them a rhetorical question. Is there anyone you suffering? This assumed answer, yes. And James gives the answer to their question. After they answer the question, he gives the answer to the problem, and he says, pray. Is there any among you here suffering emotionally? Yes, we are. Well, pray. Pray. James says, go talk to God about it. Go talk to God how you're hurting. Go talk to God how you're grieved. Go talk to God how you have been um, uh, despitefully uh, used. And go, go talk to God how you've been gossiped about. Go talk to God how someone's talked behind your back. Is anyone here today suffering? 
I would think so. But notice, he says, let him pray. And that word, let him pray, is in present imperative, which means continue to pray. Let him continue to pray. It means let him keep on praying about the evil treatment from people that he's enduring. Keep on praying about it. Don't be discouraged. Just keep on praying. So instead of seeking some fleshly answer, he said, you need to learn how to lean on Jesus. Pray. Somebody, somebody not doing you right, you don't think. Uh, don't try to get back at them. Don't be revengeful. Pray. Take that to God. Learn how to lean on God. Remember the song, Leaning on Jesus? Lean, I'm learning to lean on Jesus. That's what he's trying to tell us here. So the point is, when we experience evil treatment from people, we learn how to lean on the Lord. Pray. Don't do something foolish and stupid. Just pray. And so notice what he says in verse 13. He contrasts this emotional thing, these two extremes, and he says in verse 13, Is any among you afflicted? Let him pray. Then he says, Is any among you cheerful? Is any among you merry? If, is any among you happy? Then let him sing songs. Now what he's going to do is going to bring both of these together for the Christian. Anyone among you merry, cheerful. It doesn't mean, it doesn't mean this spirit of elation. where It's not a giggle time. But what he's talking about is, is just this positive outlook when, when, you're being, when you're suffering and you're going through those things, but then if you're merry, if you're cheerful, you begin to look back to see, what all, the, see all the riches that you have in Christ Jesus, to look back and see you've been forgiven of your sins, you've been justified, sanctified, you've been, I mean, you've experienced his mercy, you've experienced his grace, you've experienced his omnipresence, his everywhereness. Well, then if you are cheerful, sing. Sing. Is there anyone, therefore, is anyone merry, cheerful, joyful? Let him sing praise. Let him sing. Now, make a note of this, and this, this is praise as a form of prayer. Praise as a form of prayer. It, it is prayer put to music. That's what praise is. Praise, praise team, prayer, put to music. And it's kind of interesting because uh, the praise, the, the positive, the cheerful, the thankfulness, the gratefulness, all of that's put to music. So let him sing. The original word for song actually meant to play the harp. And then as the harp was being played, words were added to the music. Generally, the word song then came to mean singing. So you had a harp, and all of a sudden some words were put to the music, and mostly scriptural words. It's where we get the book of Psalms, the book of songs, and that was put to music, and all of a sudden words came forth. And, and so James's point is, in suffering and in celebration, your choice is to pray and to praise, which are two forms of prayer that we, that we have uh, immediate, to our, to our pleasure. And then when you pray and when you sing, then you will receive rewards by doing that. So what are some of the rewards? Rewards. If any among you suffering, yes. Is anyone among you cheerful? Yes. So then, notice, your willingness in connecting both of these to God on a regular basis is a huge part of your emotional health, how you get through that. 
You don't crawl over in a corner somewhere. You pray if you're suffering. And then you praise when you begin to reflect. And when you put both of those together, that's going to really aid your, 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 your mental health, your emotional health. Is anyone suffering? Yes. You going through any type of ill treatment from anyone? Yes. What do you do about it? Don't make no silly mistakes. Pray. That's what he says. Anyone among you cheerful? Yes. So when you connect both of these, that's going to play a huge part in your emotional health. And so if you, if you follow through and connect and suffer and in praise, you're going to be rewarded for that. So how are you going to be rewarded? You're going to have relief. How are you going to have relief? If you're suffering and you pray, if you're cheerful and you praise, you're going to experience relief, meaning a burden is going to be gone. You're going to experience relief and that you're going to have peace, meaning the burden is going to be lifted off of you. That's peace. You're going to experience joy, meaning the burden is going to be answered in God's time. You're going to experience greater faith, meaning that you're going to think different about your situation. And then you're going to experience confidence because you're going to begin to reflect how God's answered, you, answered your prayer in the past, taking care of you in the past, and he's going to take care of you in the future. And so when you're suffering, pray, and when you're happy, you pray. Put both of those together, and you'll have good emotional health. That's what he's saying. And then you're going to have these different rewards, relief and peace and joy and faith and confidence. And if you want a good example of that, Paul, in Acts chapter 16 Listen to verse 25, 16, verse 25. It says, And at midnight Paul and his friend Silas prayed, and they sang praises unto God, and the prisoners heard them. They were in pain, they were suffering, and what did they do? They broke out, they broke out in what? They broke out, they prayed, and they broke out in what? They broke out in praise. And they were benefited from that. Okay, so what do I pray about? First of all, pray for your emotional health in verse 13. Look at verse 14. What do I pray about? Pray for your physical health. He says, if there's anyone sick among you, the word sick is used 18 times in the New Testament, referring to physical sickness. Now, some believe this passage is not speaking about physical sickness. However, it's, it's pretty plain that it is because down in verse 15 says the Lord's going to raise him up. The point is this physical, the physical result is of, of being raised up is because of a physical sickness. So it is about a sickness. Is anyone among you physically sick? Yes. Anyone here physically sick? Now, I'm not talking just a bad cold or something. I'm talking about serious, serious sickness. Yes. Do we have anybody in our church recently gone through serious illness? Yes. Do we have them going through it now? Yes. Everywhere. And so he asked them, verse 14, is any among you sick? So what do you do? He tells them. Notice, he says, here's what you do. Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of Jesus. So what do you do for being really, really sick? Really sick. Upsetting test results you get back, maybe diagnosed with some type of uh, uh, chronic illness. You're sick. So what do you do? What do you do? James says, do this. So he says, do this 
while he's writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Don't remember, we're reading the Bible. He says, do this. He says, let him call for the elders of the church. Let him call for the elders. The word elder there translates also, same word, preacher, pastor, elder, deacon. Let him call for the spiritual leaders of the church. That's scriptural. Now, who makes the call? Preacher make the call? No, the preacher don't make the call. Who makes the call? He, he makes the call. The person makes the call. Well, nobody came to the house. Nobody visited me when I was sick. Nobody prayed for me. Nobody came and prayed for me when I was sick. They may have not have known you were sick. I may have not have known you were sick. And so speaking of that sickness, he says you, they need, he needs, the person needs to call. He makes the call. The sick person, the sick person does. You know, he, they make the call. He said, let him call. Let him call. Uh, not, for, not for minor, not for head codes and things like that, but I'm talking true sickness. I mean, really, really bad sickness. Let him call for the elders, the pastor, the spiritual leaders of the church. Let him call for the church, those that represent the church in spiritual positions. Let him call for them. Notice, let them do what? Notice that verse. Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him. Let them pray over him. So it appears that the spiritual leaders are not going to the church. Where are they going? They're going to his house. This is really important. They're going to his house. Now, not to the church. Some churches include an anointing service in the worship service, at the end of the worship service. That's up to the church. But as I read this and interpret the Scripture, it's pretty plain what it says. Pretty plain. I believe the Scriptures are indicating a very private, solemn meeting with the person who's physically sick in their home with the leaders of the church. Brother Sammy, I know you're wondering, have you ever participated in a, in a ceremony like that? Yeah, I have. I have. In 41 years of ministry, I would say, I, I tried to remember, I think it was three, it might have been two times. Yeah. I called Vance Hester. Called Vance one day. And I said, Vance, I've had someone, not from our church, but someone that had, um, someone that was really sick. And they called and wanted to know if I could come to their house and pray to anoint them with oil. I'd never done that in my life, in my ministry. And I was, I was, just started out in ministry. So I called Vance. I said, have you ever done this? He said, I've never done it. I said, well, don't you go with me tonight. And so I just did what the Bible said. I mean, what do you do? You do what the Bible says. I've had that to happen, I think, on three occasions. But here at Mountain View... We don't observe a, pub, a public prayer for the sick with anointing of oil because we believe, I believe, that the Bible teaches a very private and not a public display or service. And I take that from James chapter 5, verse 13 and 14. Let them come and pray over him. Here's the point. That's the main focus of the verse. Don't, don't get what's in, not important. 
But remember what's important. Let them come and pray over him. The point is, the main focus, the purpose is going not to anoint with oil. The purpose is going not to heal. The purpose is going for what? To pray. To pray. To ask God to do only what God can do. That's the purpose. And so to collectively go as the authority of your church in prayer, the spiritual leaders. And God works through authority. It kind of blows my mind at times when I begin to think how people make these life-changing decisions without consulting the church to pray for them. Really? Changing jobs, moving trying to pick a college, I don't care what it is. You're making these life-changing decisions, and God has invested His Spirit into the body of Christ, and you don't call them and ask them to pray for you? I'm sick. Don't let anyone know about it. Really? That is anti-scriptural. That is unscriptural. It's not what He's saying here. Never figure that out. When you do, let me know. You say, well, I've prayed about it, and I believe it's God's will. That settles it. Really, you think so? You don't think God speaks through the church to you? Through the pastor to you? That's what this is all about. He works through authority. God divines, directs through authority. His will is given through God's authority channels. It's set up the same way in the home, in government, in the church. So we should be confident in knowing that God can speak through his church. The point is, when a person's sick, it makes good sense to call for the church to come and pray for them. Real good sense. Notice, call, come, pray, anoint with oil. Now this is one of the most misunderstood passages in the Bible when it comes to anointing with oil. There's three options. The first is medicinal. In other words, it serves as some type of medicine. Well, I don't believe that's the case here. Um, you know, they didn't have strong antibiotics, penicillin. They didn't have any of this stuff back then. They had olive oil, and that had medicinal value to it, if you remember the Good Samaritan, and, and it had some type, some, but, but usually, it, well, all time in the Scripture, when the person was anointed, they were anointed on their forehead. If you got a headache, it might work, but, your foot what you're going to do so i don't believe it has medicinal uh, uh, benefit some people do but i don't think he's talking about that i don't believe it's i don't believe it's figuratively speaking you know the oil is a is the you know when you study the bible the oil mentioned in the scripture is a symbol of the holy spirit you don't actually uh, people say well you don't actually anoint with oil that's kind of figurative. No, it, it don't say that. It says do what? It says to, to anoint with oil. So it's not just, it's just not thinking about the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit is this, and, and it's just all figurative. It's not that. But I believe what he's talking about is that that oil is symbolic of the Holy Spirit. Symbolic of the Holy Spirit. We got a lot of symbols in the church. This pulpit's a symbol. Now, this pulpit is a symbol. People say, well, you have a pulpit in church. Well, the pulpit is a symbol. It's, it, 
it, is the, it shows the centrality of the Word of God in the church. That's the symbol. The cross is a symbol. Now, there, there are some things that, there are a lot of things that are symbols in the church. Some churches don't have pulpits. That's all right. Some preachers, they stand, walk, and talk. Now, that's good. I've got a lot of stuff up here. I, I like my pulpit. But some, and, and that's okay. Why is that? Because pulpit is not commanded in the Scripture, but <laughs> the anointing of oil when caught upon by a sick person in their home and prayed over by the spiritual leaders of the church is commanded in the Scripture. The point is, no medicinal, not figurative, but the symbol of the Holy Spirit. Look, listen to 1 um, Samuel chapter 16. 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 13. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him, and uh, talking about the, the anointing of David, and anointed him in the midst of his brethren, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. And so one, one, one uh, translation said that, that, he, that he took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brethren, and the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David. thought that was kind of neat. Rushed upon him. So it's symbolic of the Holy Spirit. That's what it is. So the purpose of the all, the purpose of the prayer, look at verse 15, what's the purpose? And the prayer of faith, you need to get this, and the prayer of faith, all prayers faith should be. If you're not praying in faith, you don't need to be praying. All prayer is faith. And the prayer of faith shall what? Save the sick. Now he's not talking about salvation. He's talking about his health. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick. Now, this is interesting. It, it, he, will, he will deliver them. He will restore them. The point is, this will save them, save them from what's ailing them. Now, it's, it's interesting here because the prayer of faith will save the sick. What tense is that? Is that past tense? No. It, it's not saying the the, the prayer of faith saved the sick. Is it present tense? No. What is it? Future tense. That's really important. Future tense. Somewhat future. We don't know when it'll be. Don't know. Will it be when the elders get, while they're still standing there? We don't know. Will it be three months later? We don't know. Ten years later? We don't know. When he dies? Could be. He's going to be raised up either way interesting god's gonna god is gonna honor that prayer and the and and there'll be a result of it sometime look at verse 15 the lord will raise him up oh you got to underline that the lord will raise him up what raised him up did the prayer raise him up no did the oil raise him up no did the lord raise him up yeah very important. So pray emotional health, pray for spiritual health, and I'm going to close with this real quick. Let me share some biblical purposes for sickness. And uh, I, I received the help from uh, uh, Dr. MacDonald that we hear from time to time. What are some purposes for sickness? Look at verse 15. 
He says, and the prayer of faith shall save the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up. And if we have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. That's important. Let me give you, I've jotted down four <coughs> that he suggested, and I really like these. Why? What's the reason for sickness? Number one, one reason is to glorify God. Now remember, we're not talking about head codes and things like that. One reason to glorify God. John chapter 9. John chapter 9. You remember Jesus came up on a, a young man that was blind? Remember that? John chapter 9, verse 2 and 3. The disciples asking, Jesus passed by, saw a man that was blind from his birth. And in verse 2, and the disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Verse 3, neither hath this man sinned nor his parents. So the sickness wasn't caused by sin. It wasn't caused by his parents' sin. But why? That the works of God should be manifest in him. So sometimes when you're sick, it just may be that the works of God has been manifested in your life and how you relate to it, how you act about it, how you give testimony and glory to the Lord for what's happening in your life. That could be a reason to glorify God. So some of our emotional sickness, some of our physical sickness is for us to just display the awesomeness of God to glorify Him. Then some sickness teaches us humility. Jot down second. Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, and we want to look at verse 7, 2 Corinthians 12, verse 7, says this, unless, Paul's speaking, unless I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan, to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. He said that twice. Where I wouldn't puff up, where I wouldn't be boastful, where I wouldn't be proud, where I wouldn't be full of myself. You know, uh, so I wouldn't think that I'm a super-duper big-time person for God. God laid me low. So it's for humility. Could be. Sometimes he has to have us to look up. Put us in bed where we can look up. Humble ourselves. That's what he's saying here. And so it teaches us humility. Sickness also refines our character. Remember Job? Job over in Job chapter 23. Job chapter 23 verse 10 says this. Job said, But he knoweth the way that I take when he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. He's trying to refine you, trying to get you to come and, and, and confess your sins, be, re, be refined. And then some sickness is actually because of sin. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, a familiar verse. 1 Corinthians 11, let's see if I can find that. 1 Corinthians 11, and we'll look at verse 28, says this, taking the Lord's Supper. Context. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. Verse 30. For this cause many are weak, many are sick among you, and many have slept, have died. Why? Living in sin, partaking the Lord's Supper, pretending everything's all right. God said, I'm fed up with this type of worship. And so many became sick. Some died. 
And so, point being, it's a serious thing to come to the Lord's table without examining yourself and confessing your sin. And so the biblical purpose for sin is glorifying God, humbling us, refraining, or re, re, refining our character, and then unconfessing. Isn't that awesome? It's all from James chapter 5, 13 through 15, and what we should pray and how we should pray. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for an opportunity we've had to come into your presence this morning. Thank you, Lord, for the teaching that we've had Lord, through your word, I pray for each person here, those who are bothered with emotional sickness, emotional suffering, emotional suffering, enduring things that people have said, harmful things said, harmful things that, uh, harmful acts committed against them. Uh, I, I pray for them. I pray for those, Lord, who are, who are suffering, who are suffering, who are afflicted, suffering emotionally. I pray for those that are suffering physically. I pray for every person suffering physically. Lord, the, the, the sickness that's so prevalent in our church family, I lift up every, this prayer list. There's so many people, and some are just, some are, are suffering just from just common sickness, colds, flu, and that type of stuff. But some are really sick. And I lift them up to you in prayer. And, and Lord, this is your word. Help us to be obedient to it. Lord, as we go through life. Thank you for the church, the body of Christ who loves us, who will pray for us, who will be there for us. Help us to rejoice with those that rejoice. Weep with those that weep. Pray for those who are, who are suffering because of sickness. I thank you for what you're going to do this morning, Lord, in this, in this invitation time. And I pray for people who are burdened, who are hurt. I pray that they'll come and pray. And, and Father, I pray for those who are suffering with the sickness. Touch their bodies, bring about the healing they need. And Lord, the ones that I know that are suffering physically will give you the honor and glory and praise for every bit of it. Help us to examine ourselves to see if you're speaking to us in some way through what we're going through. And we make this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Terry's going to lead us in a hymn of invitation.